Well, it's a great song, and of course, it's an important question. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The Bible's clear that we're all sinners, and our sin has separated us from a very real and a very holy God. Uh, but Jesus Christ, God's only Son, went to the cross and took the punishment that we deserve, right? And he died there, taking upon our sin and our punishment. Uh, he was buried. He rose again on the third day, as he said he would, proving that he is who he said he was, and also proving that his sacrifice uh, satisfied God the Father, right? Uh, and today, he offers forgiveness to those of us uh, who would simply uh, change our mind about sin and, and turn to repenting of sin, turn to Christ, place our faith in what he did upon the cross. He says that uh, the moment we do that, we're forgiven. Church, is that right? Is that, is that what the Bible says? It is what the Bible says. Uh, the punishment that he took for us and, and made for us upon the cross is paid on to our account the minute we turn to him uh, and place our faith in him. And, and can anything change that? Not according to the Bible. If you've made that decision, you're forgiven. You're saved from hell, and that's a great truth. You're probably going to preach something like that tonight, maybe a little bit like that. I'm going to open us in prayer, then you come, okay? Father, thank you so much, Lord, tonight for the certainty of our salvation uh, the certainty according to the Bible, not, Lord, not because we say, but because you've said we're sinners who need a Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ is that Savior. Lord, thank you so much for the certainty of that from your word, and thank you for the, the absolute certainty that we can be forgiven when we uh, turn and place our faith in the Christ of the Bible, not a made-up Christ, not a different Christ, but the scriptural Christ. Lord, I thank you tonight that Having done that, we are forgiven, and we have you in our lives and so many blessings from you. Lord, your power, your strength in our lives, and it's a great blessing and a privilege indeed, Lord. Father, I thank you for Zachary tonight. Thank you for his hard work and um, that he has invested uh, in preparing to serve you, uh, to preach and, and to teach as, as you may lead. We pray and thank you for him tonight, Lord, and um, as we look ahead to his graduation tomorrow night, Lord, we just lift him up to you and pray, Lord, that you will use him just exactly as you desire and that Zach will give himself to you to be used any way that you may choose. Father, thank you for Zach's willingness to come tonight and to preach your words tonight. I pray that you calm any nerves and, Lord, just help him to yield to you and Lord, give him boldness uh, and strength and grace and joy and peace from you tonight. Use him here tonight, Lord, just exactly as you desire. Father, pray that you'll work here tonight and accomplish that which you desire. Thank you tonight for the certainty that uh, you're meeting here with us tonight as your people have assembled together here. And Lord, we look to you now and pray uh, all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening. Good to see everyone tonight. If you would, take your Bible and turn to Colossians chapter number one. Colossians chapter number one. If you don't have a Bible, find someone near you that has one. We're going to be in Colossians chapter number one. As Dad says, I certainly do appreciate all the loving care and support that you all have given me over uh, the many years. Um, that has led up to this graduation. I appreciate those who plan to attend tomorrow, those who plan to watch. Um, really appreciate your willingness to, to come and show your support. And of course, we, uh, we give the Lord all the credit for that. Um, this evening, we're going to be doing uh, something a little bit different than uh, what we've done in the past. Uh, normally, I've been giving you a, a word, and we've been defining what that word means biblically. Tonight we're going to take more of an expository approach. We're going to go verse by verse uh, through um, the book of Colossians chapter number one. If you've been with us over the past few years, we went through the first few verses of this, um, of this chapter in a Sunday school a few years ago, um, but we're going to do a little bit more of a high-level um, approach to it and try to take a look at as many verses as we can as time permits. Um, let's go ahead and jump in. I'm going to pray and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to look into your word. Lord, I pray that you would just have your way um, in the sermon this evening. I pray that you would just hide me behind the cross, Lord, and I pray that your will would be accomplished. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Are we all at Colossians chapter number one? Amen. Okay. 
So here in, I'm just gonna give you a little bit of, of background story as to what exactly we have going on. Um, here we have Paul writing a letter to the people who are at the church of Colossae. Uh, Paul was a missionary church planter. Basically what that means is, is that he was a missionary who would go to places that didn't have a church and he would start new churches in those areas. What he would do is he would give the gospel to those people, people would get saved, and those people would then become a church. Once those people became a church, Paul would um, train and disciple someone, as Pastor talked about this morning, and they would have a pastor established at that church. And Paul did this through multiple missionary journeys. Some say three, some say four. Um, but the church at Colossae was planted, we believe, pretty soon after um, the church of Ephesus was, was planted. And uh, most believe that it was planted by Paul himself. And we're going to see here that Paul is addressing the Colossians. And the reason he's writing a book to the Colossians is that there were people who were trying to deceive the Colossians and getting them to believe in things that were not biblical. And so the main reason that Paul is going to write this book and the main reason that the Lord has him inscripturate it is it's going to be a warning against a lot of uh, those things that maybe they were going to be tempted to turn away from. And what we're going to see in the first chapter of Colossians is Paul's going to remind the Colossian people um, where they began. Um, where, their, where their journey with Christ began, how they got saved, and how they had committed to be obedient to Christ. And so we're going to start in Colossians chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 1. Here we see Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. So here we see established this idea that Paul is the one who's writing, or Paul is the one who's speaking to these people at Colossae. Colossae was a major hub for business um, in Asia Minor, which is now a portion of modern-day Turkey. And so this was a place that would have been well-known. There would have been a lot of people in this city, and they would have had a lot of influence on the world around them. And I believe that it's certainly not a mistake that the Lord led Paul to this area, because he knew that if a church could be established here, the gospel could be easily spread to other places. Now, I don't want to deviate from the text too soon, but we see here that it says that Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And before we go any further, I want to talk a little bit about what this idea of the will of God is. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you probably understand that the will of God is what our purpose is, what God wants us to do for our lives specifically. There are certain things that the Lord wants every Christian to do, but each individual person has a path that the Lord would have direct them and guide them. And if you've been a Christian for very long, you'll know that a lot of times we get caught up in wondering, what is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God for my life? Um, and we forget, to, we forget to live the will of God in our day-to-day -day lives. And so before we go any further, I wanted to just mention a few verses that help us understand what the will of God is for our life on a day-to-day -day basis. So if you would, we're going to flip around just a little bit. If you would go to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse number 3. If you have your Bibles, if you would go to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. I'll turn there with you. And here we see... For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. And so we see right here, the Bible says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. So if someone comes to you and asks, what's the will of God for my life? Well, we have a verse right here that helps us understand that the will of God is our sanctification. Now you may be wondering, that's a little bit of a scary word. What does sanctification actually mean? Well, there's actually two types of sanctification, and it's not a hard thing to understand. The first type of sanctification is our positional sanctification before God. When we get saved, the blood of Jesus Christ gets put onto our account. Amen? When we get saved, the blood of Christ covers us. And what happens is, is that when, 
when God looks down on us, he no longer sees the sin that was staining us, but what does he see? He sees the blood of Christ covering our sins. And so that's the positional sanctification that we see in the Bible. But there's also a practical sanctification. When someone gets gloriously saved, the Lord changes them. Does anybody know someone who's been gloriously changed by the gospel? I know one myself. I've been gloriously changed by the gospel. And we've, we know other people have been gloriously changed by the gospel. And so this, position, this um, practical sanctification is when someone gets saved, it's the process of becoming more holy or the process of becoming more Christ-like. When someone gets saved, through, when they submit to the Holy Spirit, they begin to become more Christ-like. And so we understand that the will of God is that we become more Christ-like when we submit ourselves to the Spirit of God. While we're in 1 Thessalonians, go to chapter number 5, and we'll read verse number 18. Verse num- chapter number 5, verse number 18. It says, "...in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you." Do you have anything to be thankful for this evening? How about, how about our mothers? I'm thankful for my, for my mother, um, especially on this Mother's Day. And here we see, if you're wondering, what is the will of God for my life? Well, the Bible says here that this is the will of God. Um, give thanks, for this is the will of God. So first we saw that the first thing that we can do on a daily basis in order to fulfill the will of God was to, number one, choose to submit to the Holy Spirit and allow him to make us more Christ-like. And second, we see here, just to give thanks, living a thankful life. How many times do we get up in the morning and not really consider all the things that we have been thankful for? I would encourage you in your daily devotional life, just take some time and thank the Lord. Whether it's just for the simple things, a roof over your head, clothes on your back, uh, your salvation, of course, these are all things that we can be thankful for on a daily basis. There are other things, but I take the time to to come to this because I want us to understand that there's nothing better than to be in the center of God's will. There's nothing better than to be in the center of God's will. And sometimes, again, this will of God, what we understand is what the Lord wants us to do for our lives, sometimes it doesn't look good to our flesh. Um, Sometimes it doesn't look good. Sometimes it's the exact opposite of perhaps what we want to do. A lot of times we'll plan Um, perhaps a career path or a relationship path that we want to do, but then turns out that's actually opposite of what the Lord wants you to do. But I would encourage you to know that if you follow the Lord's will, if you follow his path, you'll never go wrong. It's the best place to be smack in the center of the Lord's will. Amen. It's the best place to be. I encourage you If you've been going down a path that you know the Lord doesn't want you to get on, today is the day that you can choose to repent of that and say, you know what, Lord, I'm sorry that I've been going down the wrong path. Today I choose to follow your will. So if you would, turn back to our Colossians passage. Turn back there with me. We only got through one verse, so we'll, we'll keep chugging. So verse number two says, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. I want to stop here and say that I'm thankful that I know that I have a church that has people that are praying for me. I'm thankful that I have a pastor that I know is not only praying for me, but that is praying for everyone else. Um, I don't know if any of you can testify to this, but there are certain times when I have been in a trial and I can't explain it other, any other way than to say, I feel prayed for at this moment. Um, there have been times where you feel a special strength from the Lord, and I believe that prayer works. I believe that prayer works, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't had a daily prayer time, obviously we talk about having a daily Bible reading time, if you haven't had a, a daily prayer time, I would encourage you to incorporate that into your life because Prayer works. We talked about praying big prayers this morning, right? Big, faithful prayers. We used the example of, of Sister Carolyn. Listen, the, ans- the, the, the size of our prayer is going to be equal to the faith that is in our prayer. If we pray little prayers, little faith prayers, we're going to get little faith answers. If we pray big faith prayers, you can expect 
big faith answers. And so I'd encourage you, take the time to make sure that you're having that relationship with the Lord. Um, I've been in my relationship with Samantha now for just over uh, two years now, and a lot of people who have decided to give us um, premarital advice, which is always welcome, one of the things they always talk about is communication is key. Communication is key. And one of the things they said is, not only do you need to be able to communicate your feelings, but you also need to be able to listen to the other person, right? And you think about, what is prayer? It's our communication with God, right? And so I think a lot of times we'll, we'll come to the Bible and we'll listen to God speak to us, but then we never speak back. Or it could be the other way around. A lot of times we speak to God, but then we never go into his word to hear his answer. Just like there's communication necessary in any other relationship, communication is necessary in our relationship with God as well. Let's move on. Verse number four, the Bible says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all saints. And so here Paul is saying, listen, your church has a reputation. Was this a good reputation or a bad reputation? Well, the reputation is, is that they have faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that would be saving faith, but also faith that they've continued to have in Christ and love which ye have for all saints. One of the things I love about our church is that we have a reputation for being a loving church. If you come into our church, you're going to be met with a smiling face, whether it's Sister Marilyn's or whoever you're going to talk to when you first come in. We, are, we have a reputation of being a loving church, and I want to encourage us, continue to love each other, continue to love visitors that come in, continue to love those that are saved and those that are unsaved. Have you ever considered the fact that your love for an unsaved person could be the difference in motivation between giving them the gospel or not? Have you considered the fact that if you chose to love the unsaved people that you see in your life, if you chose to see them as a soul that is truly either going to spend an eternity in heaven or eternity in hell, your love for that person may motivate you to give the gospel to them? I would encourage you, consider the fact that we need to love everybody and that very well, that will motivate us to be obedient, not only to the gospel, but to the great commission and everything that the Lord has called us to do. I would encourage you, consider what your reputation is. Do you have a reputation of being a loving person? Do you have a reputation of being someone who is faithful to the Lord Jesus? If you have a bad reputation, it can be fixed. It may take some time, but the Lord can rebuild a bad reputation if you choose to become obedient to him. The Bible says in verse number five, let's continue. It says, For the hope which is laid up of you in heaven, where have you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel? One of the things I love about in the Bible is we see this word hope, and I know we've talked about this before, but this word hope isn't the way we use hope today where, uh, boy, I hope I'm having tacos for dinner. That would be great. Um, there's there's a, a question about it. Biblical hope is a certainty. And so here we see that Paul's talking about a hope which is laid up for you in heaven. And then notice the last, ver the last word of that verse is the gospel. So here he's talking about the hope of the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Pastor talked about it just before I came up. If you choose to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, it's a certainty. It's not a hope so, it's a no so that you can know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die. When we go and we talk to people on the street, I'm, I'm sure you've heard this before, a lot of times we'll ask people, are you sure you're going to go to heaven when you die? And most of them will give us this answer. Well, I hope so, man. I hope so. And here's the thing. You don't just have to hope so. You can know so. The Bible says that these things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. And so here we see that this gospel, this hope, was a certain hope in verse 5. In verse 6, we continue, which is come unto you as in all world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God and truth. I love the promise that the, that the preaching of the word of God will never return void. Whenever the gospel is given, it will strike a chord in someone's heart. 
And at the end of the day, it's your responsibility whether you're going to choose to respond to it. One of the devil's greatest lies and deceptions that I've seen both in my life and everyone else's life that I've been in contact with is this lie of, there's always tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. I always call myself the king of procrastination. <laughs> um, and, but, but in all seriousness, uh, the devil loves to tell, feed us that little lie of, there's always tomorrow. Whether it's as something as serious as responding to the gospel and making Christ the Lord of your life, or whether it's, it's um, getting rid of some sin that you know that the Lord has been convicting you about, or whether it's making a relationship right, or whatever it is, one of the things that the devil loves to do is promise you that there's always tomorrow. Well, I, can, I can promise you, I know for a fact, that we're not guaranteed uh, tomorrow. And so I would encourage you, if perhaps the Lord is convicting you this evening that, hey, you know what, maybe I haven't made that decision to place my faith in Jesus Christ. Or maybe the Lord is convicting me that, sure enough, there is some sin in my heart that I need to get right. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. So I would encourage you, don't bank on the fact that there's going to be a tomorrow because we don't know that for sure. As you, as you think about that, let's continue on to verse number 7. The Bible says, As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is your faithful minister of Christ. And so here we see that Paul is reminding them that, hey, there, there was a man named Epaphras, and um, it's very well possible that this is the man that the Lord set up to be the pastor of the Colossian church. And he's testifying to the fact that Epaphras had been a faithful minister to them and that they should be thankful for a faithful minister. I'm thankful for a faithful pastor that we have in our church. In verse number eight, it says, who also declared unto, declared unto us your love in the spirit. And so here we see that, remember, do you know where Paul is when he's writing this book? Does anybody know? He's in prison, right? He's in prison. And so everything that he knows about this church is by word of mouth. These are things that he's been hearing. That's why he keeps saying, I heard of your love. I heard of your faith. And so here we see that Epaphras had somehow communicated to him that they had a love in the spirit. And if you notice in your Bible, the, the word spirit has a capital S, right? And when we see that, oftentimes that means that it's referring to the Holy Spirit. And so we talked about having a reputation of being a loving church, right? Well, what's, what makes that possible? What's the Holy Spirit working in us, right? We've seen um, Paul talked earlier about fruits, we talked about fruits of the gospel, but there's also the fruit of the spirit. Um, we call them sometimes in college, um, your spiritual muscles and flexing your spiritual muscles. And well, we see that the way to flex those spiritual muscles is going to be rooted in having um, an obedience to who? The spirit of God. In verse number nine, the Bible says, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So here we have another example of Paul talking about the will of God. We see how serious that Paul is about this concept of the will of God. He says that they ceased not to pray so that they would understand what the will of God was for their life. Once someone does get saved, once they place their faith in Jesus Christ, their life is no longer their own. And I understand that that can be a scary concept, but again, we've talked about that living in the center of God's will is the best place to be. If the Bible says in verse number 10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing and the knowledge of God. And verse number 11 says, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Verse number 10 says, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. We talked about the will of God. Um, the Bible says that it's the will of God that none should perish, but that all should come uh, to him, right? And so, we see here that you might walk worthy of the Lord. I would ask you to consider this evening, what are you finding your worth in? What are you finding your spiritual worth in? What are you finding your physical worth in? When someone looks at you, what, are you, what do you choose to find your worth in? 
Well, when it comes to spiritual things, the thing that we should find our worth in is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, we've talked about the fact that we're either saved or we're not. Saved from what? Well, the Bible says that there's a real place called heaven and that there's very much a real place called hell. Just a few weeks ago, I preached a separate message about the reality of hell. The fact that the Bible teaches more about hell than it does heaven. Um, and it's certainly not something that we like to talk about, but if we're going to take God at his word for everything else that he says in the Bible, then we need to take him at his word that hell is a very real place as well. And so the Bible says that you might walk worthy un unto all pleasing. So I want you to consider the fact is what are you finding your worth in? Well, spiritual worth is found in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, it's not found in all the good that we do. It's not found in how good we can look on the outside. It's not found in how, how nice we can dress or um, how good of a, a good of a little Christian that we can be. Our worth is determined by our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I would encourage you, if you're trying to find your worth in anything other than your relationship with Jesus, Take the time today to confess that and choose, if you're not saved, to become saved. And if you are, to make sure that you're finding your worth in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 12 says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance and the saints of light. Verse 13, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. We talked about the reality of hell. We also understand that there's a real devil and that there's real darkness that we are saved from. The Bible says in verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. When someone gets saved, they are set free from whatever sin is binding them. Whether that sin be alcohol, it could be pornography, it could be drugs, it could be toxic relationships, whatever it is, we are set free from the power of darkness when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. I think that's one of my favorite verses in this whole chapter. Um, this word redemption. I used to love to play a, a Christian card game uh, called Redemption. Um, but it's not, a card, it's not just a card game. It's a, it's a spiritual word that I want us to understand. The idea has, has the idea of being bought back, right? We understand that when we're, when we're born into this world, we're all born spiritually alive. When we make our first volitional sin, when we choose to sin willfully for the first time, we die. Paul says, when sin revived, I died. And so when we're unsaved, who is our father at that point? The devil. And yet when we choose to repent of our sin and place our faith in Christ, what happens is, is that we're bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And this idea of redemption has the idea of being bought back, being bought back from the devil into the arms of Jesus Christ. And so I would encourage you to consider this idea of redemption. Have you been a partaker of the redemption that's found through the blood of Christ, even the forgiveness of sins? I want to stop there for a second, and I want you to consider the fact that there's no sin too big that the Lord can't forgive. There's no sin too big. I, I'm a testimony of that. There, there were times in my life where I thought, you know, this sin is too big for the Lord to forgive. Well, the Bible says that in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't say the forgiveness of little sins. It doesn't say the forgiveness of big, of big sins or medium sins. It says the forgiveness of sins. No matter what you've done in your life, great or small, the blood of Jesus can cover it. And so I'd encourage you to consider the fact that there's nothing too big that the Lord can't save you from this evening. Verse number 15 says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? I love talking about this verse um, because um, when we're in Bible college, um, just on the graduation theme, when we're in Bible college, uh, a lot of times you learn a little bit of the, of the underlying languages. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, right? And the New Testament was written in Greek. And one of the cool things they show you in this verse is that that word image 
Um, the Greek word is icon. And for those of you who like using computers, you have icons on your desktop, right? And when you click on that, you get a program to launch. Well, here's the idea um, that Paul and the Holy Spirit are trying to bring out here. Christ is the image of God the Father. So you could say in a sense that when you click on the icon of Jesus, you get the program of, of God the Father. The very, the very um, fact of the matter is, is that Jesus wasn't only 100% man, he was also 100% God. And we see that he is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of every creature. Verse 16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. I think a lot of times when we consider the creation account, we just think about God the Father, but here we see the truth of the Bible that Jesus Christ had, had a part in seeing everything that was created, created. And in verse number 17, the Bible says, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Anything that you see consisting today is made possible by the power of Jesus Christ himself. And then in verse number 18, I want to slow down for a second. I want us to consider the words that are said. It says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And so here we see a few different things. First, we says that he is the head of the body, the church. And here we understand this to be a local church. When two or more are gathered in Jesus' name, it talks about there being a special presence there. We talked about how Paul was a church planning missionary and what his goal was, was to found churches. When he founded those churches, he would set up and disciple a leader who would be the pastor. The pastor is meant to be the leader of that church, but the pastor isn't the head of that church. The head of that church is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why oftentimes you'll hear um, our pastor or another pastor say that he's just the under-shepherd, right? And he simply does what the Lord uh, calls him to do. And so here we see that Christ is the head of the church. Go to the last few words of the verse. It says that in all things, he might have the preeminence. And so here we have an idea, a word that you may not be familiar with, uh, preeminence. Basically what that means is um, coming in first place or what, what is um, the most important thing to you? What comes first? And so the Bible says that Jesus Christ should take first place in everything that we do. Um, I would ask you to consider what tonight is actually number one in your life. There are a couple ways you can think about it. Um, some people say you can consider the thing that's most important to you by what you spend the most money on. Other people say the thing that's most important to you is what you think about the most. And so I just want you to consider, take a moment and consider tonight, what is preeminent in your life? What is actually taking first place? Um, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Um, maybe it's a girlfriend or boyfriend. Um, these are all good and can be very healthy relationships. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus Christ needs to be number one in our lives. And I would encourage you, if tonight the Lord, Holy Spirit, even right now is convicting you, you know what? Jesus Christ is not number one in my life. I would encourage you even now to confess that and ask the Lord through the strength of Christ to make him number one in your lives. And I'm sure this isn't the first time you've heard this, um, but I believe that this principle is true. If Christ comes first, everything else will fall into place. If Christ comes first, everything else will fall into place. And some people don't believe that. Well, not to sound mean, but I think it's because they've never experienced it because they've never actually placed Christ first. I promise you, um, when Christ is first, everything falls into place. I can speak to this from personal, personal experience. Um, my relationships with Samantha is never better than when my relationship with God is, is the best that it is at the moment. And again, it's not just that kind of relationship, it's all relationships within, um, within our lives. And so I'd encourage you again, what is number one in your heart? What is taking preeminence? We'll move on to verse number 19. It says, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness 
well. And so we see that God chose to put all the fullness of his glory into his son, Jesus Christ. Verse number 20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. There's a lot of stuff going on in this verse. But one of the themes of the book of Colossians is this idea of reconciliation. So I want you to consider what this word means. Um, the idea of reconciliation means that there's a relationship and something has gone wrong. Um, it, you fill in the blank. But something has gone wrong to where that something has caused a break in that relationship. Well, when two people choose to reconcile, what happens? Things are made right. For example, maybe um, I do something wrong um, that offends my dad, for example, right? And when that happens, our relationship is then broken at that point. He doesn't hate me. He still loves me. But there's going to be some, some splinters in that relationship. Um, the best thing that I can do is go to him and say, I'm sorry, right? And when I do that, what happens? Our relationship is reconciled. Well, you see, we're going to see throughout the, the next few verses here that sin was that thing that splintered our relationship with God the Father. And there was something that would need to be made or something that would need to be done that could reconcile us back to God the Father. And we see it in the beginning of verse number 20. We just read it. And having made peace through the blood of his cross. Whose cross are we talking about? Jesus Christ. Whose blood are we talking about? Jesus Christ. We understand that Jesus Christ shed very real blood on a very real cross to save us from very real sin that was sending us to a very real hell. And so we understand that the reconciliation, that, that matter that was going to reconcile us, is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to consider this evening. Has your relationship with God the Father been reconciled or is there still splintering in it because of sin unfortunately we've talked about it before and I'll, and I'll say it again just to to bring it home if that relationship has not been reconciled your only hope is eternal separation from God that's what the Bible says but that's not it doesn't just end there we understand that for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That's, that's Jesus, who we've been talking about. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You can choose to make the choice to reconcile yourself with God by making the decision to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, basically, the way I like to consider it is that God gave us a gift of Jesus Christ, right? Whenever someone gives you a gift, um, for example, um, on Christmas time, um, I could place this iPad. Maybe this is my gift to you, so I place it on the table. In order for you to um, start using it, what do, what do you have to do? You have to accept that gift, right? You have to accept it. And so in order for your relationship with God to be reconciled, you have to accept the gift of Jesus Christ that God gave to you. And the way we accept it, again, is by placing our faith and trust in him alone to save us from our sins. Verse um, chapter number, or excuse me, verse number 21 says, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now have you be reconciled. Again, this idea that our sin was making us unreconciled to God the Father. But then in verse number 22, it says, In the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy... Did we skip a verse? I'm going to start again in verse number 21. And that ye that were sometimes alienated and, and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. In the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy and unblameable, un unreprovable in his sight. Here's the glorious thing. When someone does become saved... We talked about this in the beginning. When God looks down on us, he doesn't see all that wicked sin that was splintering our relationship. He sees the blood of Christ covering us. And that makes us, again, acceptable to come back unto our Father. And we see here this idea that we can be presented holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight only because the blood of Christ is covering our sins. 
in verse number 23, it says, If you continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which ye have preached to every creature which is under heaven, where, wherefore of I, Paul, am made a minister. Now, I want to stop at this verse for one quick second, um, because some people will use this verse um, to teach the idea that you have to um, continue to be obedient to Christ in order to keep your salvation. In order to um, maintain that relationship with Christ, you have to continue to be faithful. Well, that couldn't be any further from the truth, because the Bible says that once we place our faith in Jesus Christ, at that very moment, we're saved. And the Bible says that nothing can separate that seal. Um, Pastor sometimes talks about the spiritual superglue of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so because of that, we must understand that verse 23 is talking about once we've been saved, the best response to that is to become obedient to the Holy Spirit, to become obedient to God. This verse is not teaching that we have to be obedient in order to keep, our, keep or maintain our salvation because nothing can separate us from the love of God. Verse number 24 says, Who now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up um, that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for, for the body's sake, which is the church, verse number 25, wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And so I want you to understand here, we've talked a lot about the will of God. We've talked about that the very first and most important way to be in the will of God is to is to be saved. But here we see a man who is choosing to fulfill the will of God, to fulfill the path that the, word, that the Lord had given him. We see that Paul was, cho was chosen by God to be a minister in verse number 25. It says, Whereof I have made a minister um, to fulfill the word of God. It says at the end of that verse. And so Paul understood that he had been called to be a minister of God. Now, I don't know if you remember Paul's history at all, but do you remember the fact that he was the one who was breathing out threats to Christians and eventually started killing Christians and those who believe like we do? We talked about the fact that there's nothing too bad in our history that the Lord can't save. If the Lord can save a man who is literally killing people who, live like us, who believe like us today, he can, save, he can save you and me. The Bible says in verse number 26, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among, you, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everything that was ever spoken of in the Old Testament was all pointing to one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. In verse number 28, it says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Some of you may be thinking tonight, why is this guy so worked up about this idea of, of being saved? Well, we're called here in verse number 28 to warn every man. And what are we warning of? Again, we're warning of the eternal punishment that is the only other option if we're not saved by the, whole, by the Holy Spirit. And again, how does one become saved? By placing their faith in Jesus Christ. Verse number 29 says, Wherefore I also labor, striving according to his work, which worketh in me mightily. For those of us who, who are saved, are you striving for the work of Jesus Christ? Have you found your place of service in the church? Um, there's always some work that needs to be done, right? There's always something that needs to be done. And I encourage you, if you don't have a place of service, um, if this is your church, if you don't have a place of service, I would encourage you, ask the Lord what he may have you to do. Maybe it's not something that's been put on a list. Maybe there's some other ministry that the Lord would have you to do. Well, I would encourage you, talk to the Lord about it. We talked about having communication with the Lord tonight. I would encourage you, communicate with the Lord. And if you do have a place of service... I would encourage you to faithfully continue that place of service and also understand that there's no great place of service that's above anything else. Um, I'm no greater of a person for being able to come preach up here than someone who scrubs the, the bathroom floors. Um, the person who uh, washes the floor uh, downstairs is, 
is no less than the person who comes and, and sings, who may sing a special, who may come preach. Everything is viewed, is viewed as obedience in the Lord's eyes if we're doing what he's called us to do. So I would encourage you, find your place of service if you don't have one. That being said, I want us all to consider the fact that the Bible does say, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Um, what that means is, what is sin? Sin literally has the idea of, of missing the mark. And if we want to explain it even simpler, it has the idea of, of doing wrong, okay? If we've ever told a lie, that's sin. And if anyone would, would be willing to come up here and say, I've never told a lie, well, that would be one of, of many lies that you've probably told, okay? So um, if you've ever... Um, stolen something, whether it be a tiny piece of candy or, or a pen from work. I'm, I'm guilty of that. Um, the point, of, the fact of the matter is, is that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners, right? And unfortunately, because of that, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And that death is not just a physical death, but when we die, we've talked about there's only two options. Either we're going to spend eternity in heaven with Christ and with all those who have been saved, or there's a very real burning hell. Um, we won't get too much into it this evening, but the Bible does talk about hell. And one time we're given a, a look into what it's like to be in hell in Luke chapter number 16. And what we see is a man crying out just for a drop of water to cool his tongue. Why is that? Because hell is a place of eternal torment. Hell is a place of fire. And it's a very real and, and living place. And again, it's the only other option. So how do we escape that hell? Well, will we reference a verse that we talked about before. The fact that God the Father sent his son to die on the cross for us. The Bible says that for God so loved the world. He, he loves you individually so much that he sent his only begotten son, his only son Jesus, uh, that whosoever would believe on him, if they'd place their faith in him, they wouldn't perish, they wouldn't go to that hell of, of the torment, but that they would um, receive everlasting life or they would go to heaven. And so we understand that the Bible says that if we would simply choose to turn from sin, we have to understand that sin is, is detestable in God's eyes. We have to choose to change our mind about sin. Once we understand the fact that the sin is what's separating us from God, then we can choose to turn from that sin and we can choose to place our faith in Jesus Christ. Um, you've heard me use this word faith a lot. I had a, I had a chair up here a couple sermons ago. And um, I said that I could believe that that chair exists, but in order for me to sit in it, I have to have faith that it's going to hold me up, right? And so there's a difference between believing in something and actually placing your faith in it. So when we talk about placing our faith in Christ, we're not talking about just believing that he was someone who existed. We're talking about actually placing our trust of our eternal security in him. We're placing our destination, our eternal destiny, in who he is. And what are we actually placing it in? Well, throughout the chapter today, we saw that he shed his blood for us. And so when we choose to place our faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, again, we can know for sure that we're not going to go to hell, but that we're going to go to heaven. I don't know about you, but if there was any doubt in my mind at all that I hadn't made that decision, I would encourage you to make that decision tonight. We talked about the, fa the fact that tomorrow isn't guaranteed. We don't know if we're going to have tomorrow. Um, it's not a pleasant thing to think about, but perhaps we could perish in our sleep tonight. And if we did that, we'd wake up in one of two places. We're either going to wake up in heaven with the Lord, or we're going to wake up in hell in eternal torment. I would encourage you tonight, why walk out these doors not knowing where you're going? Why walk out these doors just hoping that you're going to go to heaven when the Bible says that we can know for sure that we're going to heaven? I would encourage you, don't leave tonight without knowing for sure that you're going to heaven. Pastor. ask you about your heads uh, just for one moment, please. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads just for one moment. I want to thank Zachary for that message. I don't, 
don't think there's a more important message in the Bible than that. And certainly this is one of the best chapters to bring out the, the absolute central truth of scripture, the necessity of forgiveness in Christ. That's everything balances on that central truth of the Bible. So thank you, Zachary. Give you a moment uh, in your own seat privately uh, to pray and, and do whatever business with the Lord that you feel like you might need to do tonight. If, if you can't remember a time or a place where you've uh, turned to Christ and said, hey, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know it offends you. It separates me from God the Father. I know you died for me and, and paid the price for my sin, and so I'll place my faith in you tonight. I encourage you to do that if there's never been a time that you've done that. Get that settled tonight as, as Zach encouraged. Uh, maybe there's something else. Maybe, maybe you know Christ as your Savior already, but there's something else God has laid on your heart tonight. You want to you wanna just get that right with him or, or perhaps just take a moment and um, pray for lost people. I'll give you a moment now to pray. Lord, I thank you tonight for the Bible. It's exactly what we need. And Lord, I thank you for the message we heard tonight. I believe it's exactly what we need to hear tonight. Lord, I thank you tonight that your word is quick, it's powerful, it's alive. It accomplishes just exactly what you want it to accomplish in our hearts. Lord, I pray that people have made decisions tonight to turn to Christ and to trust him. I pray that they may share that with us and that we might rejoice with them. Lord, I pray that believers have made decisions tonight and done business with you. I pray they may share that with one another and, and rejoice together in those decisions tonight as well. Father, I thank you tonight that you're a good and loving and gracious God. You're just God. Of course, that's why hell exists. You're a just God. We can accept the payment that Christ made for us or we can make the payment ourselves. Your justice is served either way. Lord, what a, what a better choice to accept the free gift of the payment that's been made for us at the cross. Not free, but free to us. Lord, thank you so much. Father, I thank you again tonight for Zachary, for his faithfulness to you and to your words, and for his willingness to preach them boldly tonight and in love, in love. Lord, thank you for each one who's come out tonight. We're grateful. Thank you for my family and their uh, ability to be here tonight, Lord. It's a, it's a blessing for me, and I appreciate them very much. Thank you for them. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for the rain. We know sometimes we bemoan it, but we know we need it, and we know it's a blessing from you. Lord, pray that you'll work in graduation tomorrow night. I, I pray for each student. I pray that they just rejoice, Lord, in, in you and what you've helped them to accomplish for you and, Lord, that they just keep their hearts humbled before you, staying yielded to you, Lord, asking, what would you have me to do next? Father, I love you tonight. Lord, I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Zach, you come lead us in a closing song. ask you to uh, pray. We'll be dismissed. All right, thanks. All right, if you would stand with me, take those red hymnals.